Hello, and welcome back to Shockingly Wicked, a true crime podcast where we bring you true crime cases from the headlines to the hometowns. I'm Brianna. Um, but I... <laughs> And we are your hosts for the evening. We have a whole bunch of review shout outs that we need to do. I don't think we wrote those down, did we? Well, I sent screenshots. We're going to go ahead and do that before we get started on anything because I needed the pick me up because the other day we had a not so nice review and then I went and I checked all of the other country reviews that we've gotten and you guys have been so nice and I just want to say I love you. Okay, we'll start with the US. Daniel K. Duke. You're so rad. Love that. Thank you. Miss Courtney Ann, thank you so much. You're so rad. Kiwi0699, you're so rad. Thank you. Selena, one. Is that your sister? Yeah. Hi. <laughs> Timmy the Terrible. Your name might say the Terrible, but you're actually pretty rad. Yeah, Timmy. Love you. H. Rosso. Thank you. Friday Island Zach. Thank you. Brooklyn with a heart. Thank you. Jill Cha Cha. <laughs> Thank you so much. I love your username. Sunrise Kisses. Thank you so much. Rachel B. in CMG. Thank you so much. You the bestest. And Janice Likes. Thank you so much. All right. That's all the ones we have in the U.S., but we do get to see your reviews if you leave them from other countries. We just have to do it through a different dashboard. So we have one from Australia from A Place Like Home, Smiley Face. Thank you so much. We have another one from Canada from Motivated to Succeed. Thank you. You are motivating me to succeed. (laughs) (laughs) In the United Kingdom, we have Katie Illustrated and Tilly H123. Thank you both so much. I'm so glad that you guys have found us and that you guys are enjoying it. And then we don't have any written reviews, but I do see we have one five-star rating from the Philippines. So thank you. Guys, please leave us, if you listen on iTunes, just please leave us a five-star review and or rating. Uh, Our goal is to get 100 reviews this go-round. After we hit that goal, we'll have another goal. It's just how my mind works. I don't know what you want from me. And (laughs) if you listen to us on YouTube, please subscribe. Yes, subscribe so we can get a URL so it'll be easier. I think last I saw we had 22 subscribers. So we're getting to that quarter of the way mark. And if you see Patrick Star (laughs) 094, that is my husband. He's the bestest. Love him. So today's case is Brit's case. I don't know anything about it. I only know a name. So this is going to be all new information for me. I'm super excited about it. So Brit, I'm going to let you take it away. Okay. So today we're doing Abraham Shakespeare. He's the man who won it all and he lost everything. That is my title I created. Oh, wow. so much. It's very dramatic. I'm excited to see what happens from here. Okay. So... Early life. So Abraham Lee Shakespeare was born on April 24th, 1966 in Lakeland, Florida. I've actually been to Lakeland. I don't remember it, but I've been there. (laughs) (laughs) He dropped out of school in seventh grade. And so because of that, he was deemed illiterate. He did serve jail time after being caught for a string of burglaries he was a part of. But after he was released from jail, he went to work various labor jobs. And at 41 years old, he worked as a part-time garbage collector, making $8 an hour. That's pretty good money. I know that they usually make good money. What year was this all? Oh, six. Oh, six. Yeah. That was pretty good money, probably. I don't know. I mean. It's more than minimum wage, at least. So I was only seven in 06, so I don't, I don't know. <laughs> okay, well, minimum wage, I think, got raised in 09. That's a, a, another subject for another day. Anyway, continue. 
Okay. So, all right. So, on November 15th in 2006, the winning lottery ticket, which was worth $30 million, was sold at a Townstar convenience store in Frostproof, Florida. I think like a Townstar convenience store is not like a string, but like a chain. Mm-hmm. I think that's what it is. I don't know. I yeah. don't really look into him. But the, on that day, Abraham and his coworker Michael Ford were headed t- towards Miami. They stopped briefly at this Town Star convenience store for drinks and cigarettes. Michael got out of the truck and asked Abraham. He's like, "Hey, you want something to drink?" Abraham said, "Nope." But asked if he could buy him two lottery tickets instead, and handed him two out of the five dollars he had that day. So I think the lottery tickets were only like a dollar a piece. Dang. To I know. spend only a dollar and then win that much money. I know. That was when Abraham discovered he held the winning lottery ticket of $30 million. Wow. The dream. Literally. <laughs> okay. When Abraham went to collect his winnings, he opted for... Okay, so back up. When you win the lottery, you can either do a one-time payment, and I think all the taxes are taken out, or you could do, for this instance, if you win $30 million, you could do 30 annual payments of $1 million, and I think the taxes are less. Yeah. But I wouldn't want to do the annual payments, because how do I know that they're going to have my $30 million? Yeah. So he opted for the one-time payment of $17 million, which was after taxes. So he came home with $17 million, which okay. is still a That's lot still of money. A lot. Yeah. Pay off those debts, buy a house. <laughs> <laughs> Later, Michael Ford, which was the co-worker, would demand a share of the winnings, wanting nothing less than a million dollars. I just want to say, you can't demand anything, could ask. But also, uh, it wasn't your ticket, sir. Of course, Abraham refused to pay him anything, and Michael would go on to sue Abraham, stating that he stole two lottery tickets from his pocket. <laughs> I don't know how you steal something from... I mean... There's pickpocketers out there. But yeah, but what an ass. <laughs> the jury didn't believe his story, so he lost the lawsuit, which oh, I think is good. funny. That's what you get. So now you not only don't have any lottery money, but you also are out legal fees. Yeah. Okay, so Abraham went on to move out of his working class home. So I do want to mention that Abraham, I read this in a couple articles, but they were... I don't think they were, like, super poor, but they did live in, like, poverty conditions. Yeah. So he moved out of his working class home and into a gated community, and he bought a house that was worth $1 million. I mean, go big, go home. But the only other major purchases that Abraham made throughout having the lottery money was a Nissan Altima and a Rolex from a local pawn shop, which I just want to take a minute to say he purchased a Rolex from a pawn shop. That's pretty smart. You're not going to pay full price. Yeah, and a Nissan Altima is like a relatively, well, not inexpensive, but it's a decent car. It's not like a Mercedes or an Audi or something that's like super ridiculously expensive. That's probably good on gas mileage. Uh, Yeah, I mean, it's decent. Sorry, my dad has an Altima, so I'm trying to think. I mean, it's decent. It's definitely better than like a Jeep. (laughs) That's true. Okay, so of course, with the major payout he received from the lottery came people begging for handouts, Obviously, you're going to have that with anybody. But these people were part of his family, were his friends. Even, like, strangers were coming up to him on the street asking for some money. And I did read some articles. I didn't mention it in my notes. But I did read articles where he was, like, helping people a lot. Yeah. Like, uh, um, 
they called him like the blessing to the neighborhood because he would go back to his old neighborhood and help pay like people's debts. I know. From everything I read, he was like a nice person. Yeah. So after a while, I'm sure this is taking a toll on him, but he was obviously growing frustrated and reportedly told his brother that he would have been better off broke. His family reported that he became super depressed uh, with everyone always asking for money and he said, I thought all these people were my friends, but all they just want is money. Mm-hmm. That's so sad. <laughs> okay, in comes Doris. Doris Donegan Moore. I'm going to call her Dee Dee because that's what she went by. So from here on out, I'm going to like call her Dee Dee. Dee Dee. Okay. Dee Dee. Um, Makes me think she- of uh, Dexter's Lab. Sorry. Yes! Didi, get out of my laboratory. <laughs> okay. Didi would eventually approach and befriend Abraham. She would go on to tell him that she wanted to write a book about him, which, I mean, that's not like super far off. Yeah. Instead of writing the book, she would go on to launch a business with Abraham called Abraham Shakespeare LLC. Okay. So nice name. Love that. I mean, he does have like a, he's named after a president and he's got the last name of Shakespeare. William Shakespeare. Yeah. I forgot his first name. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. My sister was a theater major. That's the main reason why I know that. So now I lied. It's, there's also English class, but I didn't pay that much attention in English class. <laughs> okay. 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 Dee Dee would go on to grant herself full control over the firm's funds, and then she would later go on to withdraw $1 million from the business and purchase a Hummer, a Corvette, and a trunk before taking herself on vacation to Hawaii. Girl. Girl. She's living lavish. My man only bought a Nissan Altima. Seriously. So when she was questioned about the money and, like, where she got it all from, she said that it was a gift from Abraham. I don't think he told her to use it i don't think he knew yeah so this was in 2006 so when he met Dee, Dee this was in 2008 going into 2009 mm-hmm. so family and friends were trying to get in contact with abraham but he was never available or that's what they were told at least yeah Dee, Dee would always go on to tell them that he would call them back or sometimes she would tell them that he was busy and not available to talk it's a little shady. Sketchy. Okay, his family and friends would receive texts from Abraham's phone letting them know that he was okay. Or letters in the mail that were supposedly written by Abraham. See, that's where you mess up. Like, <laughs> Yeah, his family grew suspicious after receiving these texts because Abraham was illiterate. Yeah. I think he knew how to read his name and write his name. And I think mm-hmm. he knew how to like read and write like basic things. Yeah. But I don't think he could text clearly or write letters. Yeah. I mean, especially because even if he could, you can never 100% match somebody else's way of speaking or way of writing because everybody has their own voice. So unless you're like really, really good at doing that, you're going to get caught. Yep. Or if you did like I did and paid an online website to write my English paper for me and gave them old papers that I wrote so they could match my voice so I didn't have to write my English paper. Wow. That's... It was $37. Was it worth it? It was worth it. I got an A. Okay. Well, 
I was gonna. I was gonna say, did they just like throw you uh, a used paper from one of their own old classes? Because that seems to usually be what happens. But. His family grew suspicious after receiving these texts because Abraham was illiterate, and so when they asked questions, so they would text back with questionings regarding this. No response would be given, so she would just like open these texts and not respond, mm-hmm. which is. I do that all the time, but it's not to be shady. I just open texts and forget to respond. <laughs> That's a big mood. She claimed that Abraham decided to leave town and went to Texas. He went to Jamaica. He Puerto Rico, Orlando, or she even told people that he was in the hospital sick. She was obviously starting to give different versions of what happened every time she was asked yeah. about him. So obviously that makes it way more shady. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Shady boot. Okay, so in the investigation, it was found that she had been living inside of his million-dollar home. In November of 2009, Abraham's family finally filed a missing persons report. They claimed that they had not seen him since April of that year. I don't know why it takes seven months to file a missing persons report, but, like, go off. Yeah, like, that doesn't make much sense to me either. You would think that if you were starting to get suspicious, you would have followed through, I guess, sooner. Mm-hmm. I don't know. An official missing persons report was registered in November. So when asked about Abraham, Dee Dee told investigators that he had moved to the Caribbean and started a new life because he was tired of people always asking for money. <clears throat> I mean, that's a valid that's a valid reason to move to the Caribbean of all places. Yes. I would like to live in the Caribbean. If it wasn't so hot, I don't yeah, like heat. Yeah, but you heat. have that really pretty ocean you can yeah. go cool down in. Okay, but then all the sand... Okay, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> okay, on December 3rd of 2009, Dee Dee was brought into the police station for questioning. It was revealed that a company called American Medical Associates was owned by Dee Dee. And some of Abraham's assets were under the name American Medical Associates. And when questioned about this, she told police that the reason some of Abraham's assets were managed and owned by her business was because he did not want to pay child support because he did have a son named Moses. Um, that's... I don't know how to respond to that, but (laughs) I'm offended for him. Yes. After some digging into property records, it was found that American Medical Associates, the company that Dee Dee owned, had owned Abraham's house. So when they asked her about this, Dee Dee told the police that she bought the home from Abraham for $650,000. Ah, uh, ma'am, it is a million dollar home. Yeah, I don't think it would have depreciated that much. <laughs> I don't think homes really depreciate like that. They can, depending on the housing market, but definitely not that severely. <laughs> okay, so when police looked, decided to look further into Dee Dee, they found that she had once staged a scene to fraudulently keep a Lincoln Navigator that was going to be repossessed for non-payments after she fell behind on the car payment. Okay, Miss Girl did... um, Okay, this is what Miss Girl did. She had someone store the car in a garage, and then she pretended she had been kidnapped, raped, and (laughs) carjacked. That is like zero to a hundred real fast. Like that's a lot. Why did why did you do that instead of just paying the goddamn bill? You have the money. <laughs> uh, police claimed that she had taped her wrist together and threw herself out of somebody's car to make a scene. <laughs> oh my god! She went even as so far as to take a rape exam. Mm, girlfriend. Obviously, it came back negative. Girlfriend. And she would. I guess they caught on to what was going on because she later pled no contest 
for the charge and received probation for it. So I guess they caught on. Oh, Lord. But after she was... What? Sorry. I'm just thinking, like, how did she only get probation? Like, reporting a crime that didn't actually happen. I'm pretty sure that's a felony. I don't know. I mean, I'd have to Google it, but I'm like 99% sure that that's a felony. Miss Girl, she's on some weird shit. Are you Googling it? Yes, give me a second. <laughs> I think it I'm, is a felony. Well, I guess it depends on what state. <laughs> is reporting a false crime a crime? Yeah. Um, <laughs> the report could be of a misdemeanor or a felony offense. What? Okay, yeah. Try this in one, Florida. Try this, in Florida. Yeah, because this one is talking about California. It's like, I don't give a shit about California. I don't give a, I don't give a shit. Yeah, they can face felony charges, so unless that, like, changed within recent years. First degree, wait a minute. (laughs) What is the truth? Sorry, one of them is saying that they could face felony charges, and then this one is saying it's classified as a first degree misdemeanor, which can get up to, like, a year in jail or 12 months of probation and a $1,000 fine. Well, she got probation, so that's probably what it was. Why does the internet lie to me? Because it hates you. You're right. Okay, continue. Okay, okay, okay. After she was questioned by the police, Dee Dee would sell the Hummer that she bought with Abraham's money to keep the heat off of her. But to me, that makes it look a little bit more... Suspicious. Suspicious. So now let's bring in Gregory Smith. Hello, Gregory. Gregory Smith was a friend of Abraham's. Mm-hmm. So Dee Dee arranged a meetup with her and Gregory where she convinced him that Abraham was on vacation and he would be back. So this is in the midst of like the investigation of like the missing person. Yeah. She wanted, okay. She wanted Gregory to call Abraham's mother, Elizabeth, and pretend to be Abraham to tell her he was okay. That's shady. Shady boots. That's very shady, but also how can you think that a mother is not going to recognize her own son's voice? Yeah. Gregory refused at first, but Dee Dee reassured him that Abraham would be back soon and offered him $300 to make the phone call. And after she mentioned the money, he reluctantly agreed. Only $300? I know, Miss Girl. (laughs) You got all of the millions of dollars, are you only going to give him 300 This reminds That's me shady. of H.H. Holmes and all of his financial scams. <laughs> it's like, you <laughs> clearly got the money. What you doing with it? Okay, so Dee Dee took Elizabeth to dinner that night. And that is when Gregory called Elizabeth as planned, pretended to be Abraham, and convinced her that he was okay and would be back soon. Shady. Shady. Very shady. Shady. The morning after, the two met up and Dee Dee paid Gregory the $300 as promised. Unfortunately for Dee Dee, investigators had been watching this. Um, <laughs> they had been watching her since questioning her and they caught this exchange between Gregory and Dee Dee. So yeah. I found that funny. Because I don't like Dee Dee. And if you look her up, her hair is like badly bleached. <laughs> is that her fault or is that her stylist's fault? That's assuming it's she got fault. a stylist. Okay, we'll, we'll say it's her fault. Google it. Google it. Hold on. Uh, Doris Moore. <laughs> Doris more. <laughs> Dee Dee. Hold on. You googling it? There we go. Doris Donegan Moore. Doris. Such an old lady name. Oh, she looks cray cray. Okay, yeah, I, I can see it. Okay, so like her court picture, she has brown hair, but there's some bleach 
pictures here too. It's like a yellowy tone. Girl needed yeah. some purple shampoo. Purple shampoo. <laughs> okay, after this exchange happened, investigators found Gregory and asked him to be an informant for them. Uh, I also found like in other articles that he was already an informant. So I don't, either way, he becomes an informant. I just don't know when. Yeah. Okay, so in January of 2010, Dee Dee contacted Gregory again, but this time she asked if he knew someone willing to admit to the cops that they had killed Abraham. How do you even make that phone call? Yeah. Hey, Bree, <laughs> yes. do you know anybody who is willing to admit to the cops that they killed Abraham? <laughs> In that same month, the sheriff working on Abraham's disappearance would report that they believed the lottery money was all gone. So she had spent it. How do you spend that? Well, no, I shouldn't say that. Most people who win the lottery end up going bankrupt within like a couple of years. To be most, fair, so. he didn't go bankrupt. Uh, that's true. He was robbed. And murdered. <laughs> that same month, Gregory admittedly reported this phone call to the investigators. And so... They decided, they're like, you know what? You're going to go along with this, and we're going to bring you Mike Smith. Mike Smith was an undercover cop from the Lake Wells, Florida Police Department, and Gregory would introduce him to Dee Dee. Dee Dee is a crazy person. I mean, yeah, she definitely... I don't know how she could have thought that any of this would have worked out in her favor in the long run. I think what happened was she started getting like people started questioning her and i don't think that she realized the police was gonna get involved and then she was trying to quickly cover her tracks yeah she probably also thought she was smarter than everybody else and that her whatever her plans were would work out in the end but i hate when they think they're smarter than everybody else like holmes thought he was smarter than everybody else listen i love it because when they get taken down it's even more satisfying I feel like Ted Bundy thought he was smarter than the cops, oh, too. He absolutely did. He was... Yeah, and John Way Gacy thought he was smarter than the cops. They were all condescending douchebags, so... <laughs> Douche kebabs. Mike would go on to tell Dee Dee that he would take full responsibility for Abraham's death in exchange for $50,000 paid in full to his family. And Dee Dee agrees because she's stupid. Ooh. Let's let's see. Does she actually pay the money? Uh, I don't know. Probably not. Yeah, because they, they were saying that they thought that all of the money was already gone by that point. So <laughs> that's what I'm saying. So at this point, she's starting to make like fake promises. Like I'm gonna pay you this money. I'm gonna pay you this money. She has no money. She's broke. She also seems to to me as the type of person who thinks money can fix everything. Probably. But money can't fix murder. So she thinks if she offers all this money. Okay. Gregory and Mike asked about the location of Abraham's body in case they are questioned about the police. This girl is fucking stupid. Dee Dee showed Gregory and Mike the concrete slab that she buried Abraham's body underneath. And she also gave them the 38 Smith & Wesson revolver that was used to kill Abraham. Oh my god. She gave god. them the location of the body and the murder weapon. Wow. You literally just handed them a conviction on a golden platter. <laughs> literally. Gregory got all this information back to the police with the help of Mike, and he told the investigators about the gun. The digging was initiated by the police department, and Abraham's body was found to be in the backyard of, I'm going to 
slaughter his name. Shar Krasniki. Yes. Which was Dee Dee's boyfriend. The house was a single story ranch style home. Abraham was found buried in five feet of dirt underneath a newly constructed concrete slab. He was 43 at the time of his death and the police reported that they thought Abraham was killed either April 6th or 7th of 2009. Now, they don't find his body until January of 2010. So it's almost a year. But, so basically what they said they thought happened was that he found out she was stealing his money Mm -hmm. and he went to go confront her about it and that's when she shot him. But I think he threatened to kill her first and she just killed him. Well... I mean, Miss Girl. Can we blame him? <laughs> no. Okay. Okay, after the body was found, Dee Dee claimed that she did not know anything about the murder. And then she said that a drug lord killed him, and then she blamed it on her son. So so she kept changing her story, which made yeah. her look even more guilty. Which she kind of looked guilty to begin with. Walmart CV footage shows Dee Dee buying gloves and duct tape, which were found not far from the place that the body was found. Girl. Girl. It also backfired on her from texting and pretending to be Abraham because, like we said before, he was illiterate and could not read or write. So, Dummy, dumb, dumb, dumb. And I think finding her in his house really, like... <laughs> that kind of sealed the deal there, Miss Fang. do much for her. Yeah. She tried to bribe the mother of Abraham's child, Antoinette, with $200,000 if she would lie to detectives and said that she had seen Abraham recently. Obviously, the lady told her no. With what money? <sighs> I don't know. Okay, so Dee Dee <laughs> was taken into custody on February 2nd, 2010 and charged with accessory after the fact and first degree murder. That's because she kept telling so many stories. They didn't have all the evidence that pointed that she killed him, but she definitely yeah. knew about it. So her bail was set to $1 million. I think she got out of jail because she was arrested again on February 19th in 2010, but this time she was arrested for first degree murder so i think what happened was they wanted to get her on what they had and they definitely had accessory after the fact yeah but they needed a little bit more evidence okay so on march 15th in 2010 Dee would plead not guilty and the trial would go on for the next two years that was a long ass trial not guilty for something that you literally- i know she's gonna kill him hand him the conviction and then has the audacity to plead not guilty. <laughs> like, you literally said, hey, here's the body, here's the murder weapon. <laughs> like, girl. Idiot. You were stealing his money. Nobody else would have killed this man. I mean, a lot of people might have killed him for his money. Well, yeah, but... But they probably would have just left him, not yeah. bury him underneath a concrete slab. Yeah, like, that was... You... You planned this whole thing out. I'm not I'm not buying this not guilty shit. <laughs> oh, this is funny. Dee Dee was banned briefly from the courtroom because of concerns she may have threatened the jurors. <laughs> I am not surprised by that at all. But she was let back in for closing arguments, so she got to hear closing arguments. So the jury only deliberated for three hours. <laughs> <laughs> I love when that happens. Because, you know, if they make a decision within a day, you're automatically guilty. Yeah, especially on a trial that took two years. <laughs> they probably went in there and was like, 
Oh, yeah, she's guilty, but had to sit in there for a couple hours to make it look like they were actually deliberating. Yeah. And I think this is where the satisfaction comes in, like when they think that they're smarter than everyone and then they deliberate for less than a couple, like for just a couple of hours, less than a day. It's like, yes, yes, you're not smarter than they are. (laughs) You idiot. (laughs) Okay, so on December 10th, 2012, Dee Dee was convicted of first-degree murder for killing Abraham Shakespeare, and she was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Nice. And an additional minimum sentence of 25 years for possessing a gun during a violent felony. I love that. I love that. So she's got to do life plus 25 years. So... She's never getting out, which is good because she doesn't deserve it. The judge called her the most manipulative person and cold, calculating, and cruel. Which, yeah, because she literally planned out his murder because she was planning on taking all of his money when she approached him about the book deal. Yeah, because the fact that she set up this business, like she took advantage of the fact that he couldn't really understand contracts, I'm assuming, because she set up or this reason. business. Yeah, exactly. It's just like she took advantage of this guy to steal his money and then murdered him. Well, it's really sad because he just needed somebody to manage his money. He needed like a third party uninterested. Yeah. Somebody who had no benefit to manage his money yeah but i guess the animalistic part of the brain or the instinctive part of the brain took over and she was greedy and just wanted the money for herself well i think she was greedy anyways from after the lincoln navigator (laughs) thing that is weird how do you just come up with something like that (sighs) i don't know okay so a one million dollar trust fund was set up by shakespeare for moses which is his son Mm -hmm. to settle Child support claims. Moses will receive this money when he turns 18. Well, that's good. I think he has already turned 18, so I think he's already had it. But this is funny. Antoinette Andrews, which is the mother of Moses, won the million-dollar lottery in 2017 and chose to receive a lump sum of $770,000. Good. She deserves it. This family is the luckiest... But unluckiest. It's very extreme. (laughs) How do you have somebody in your family win it? Well, how do you have both parents win the lottery? Not once, but twice before you're 18. Yeah. I mean, at least he's going to be well taken care of, especially because like his dad's not in the picture anymore because somebody got greedy. Well, not only, well, I think when you have a parent that's murdered, plus that trust fund, but I think you get money every month until you're 18 from the government. Okay. That would make sense. Because that's my cousin. His dad was murdered, but he got a check every month until he turned 18. Well, that's good. At least they get taken care of somehow. Well, that is the story of Abraham Shakespeare. This episode was a little short, but we wanted to keep it not light, but the Hasa murder was very heavy hitting. Yeah. So we wanted to kind of like not have... Also, we're planning on doing another heavy hitting episode. So to me, Abraham's story was one that I thought... I don't see it a lot. There's a couple of YouTube videos about it, but I haven't seen a lot of podcasts do it. And I think that his story is one that is, you know, he's a victim and needed to be told. Yeah, absolutely. I told it. Like you said, I haven't heard really anything about this case before you mentioned it. So I'm glad that you brought it to my attention because that's like you, you do hear about people treating other people differently after they get money. Like my dad, I was always talking about 
people in the NFL who sign like super big contracts. And then there's family coming out of the woodwork, trying to get money from them, basically being like, you owe us this and things like that. And so sad. I know it happens with lottery winners, too, because it's like, oh, people know that they have this money. So they're like, hey, can you give me something? It's weird because people are just like, oh, you have plenty. Give me some, too. And I get it to an extent, but you're not owed anything from this person who won this money, even if you're family. Absolutely. And I think even the fact that it was so heavily publicized probably had a lot to do with it, too. Yeah. Because he was all over, you know, the local news. He was all over the newspapers. Mm -hmm. He was on TV for winning. So it wasn't like he could hide it. Yeah. And that's the problem, too, with that sort of thing, because they are always talking about, like, who won the lottery. I think because it's usually such a big thing in the state that everybody wants to know who the lucky winner was. But I think especially have 30 million that billion dollars. Yeah. And I do I do remember seeing a story at some point within the last couple of years where some guy was wearing a mask during his news conference or something so that he could hide who he was from like his friends and family (laughs) so that they wouldn't know. Yeah, I totally agree. I don't think they should publicize it like they do. Yeah, because it's like you can say somebody won the ticket from such and such store, but don't advertise who it is. Unless they specifically say they want to, but then you have cases like Abraham's, which I think had it not been publicized like it was, I think it would have been different. The outcome would have been different. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think the people in his life probably still would have taken advantage, at least if he had told them that he had won. But I mean, I don't know if you necessarily would have known because he had pretty modest purchases other than that one house, <laughs> like the one million dollar house. I think he did come from like the poverty stricken background. I think having like a big million dollar house was his way to himself of I finally made it out. Yeah. And that's completely valid because that's the thing, too, with people who get a lot of money who do come from backgrounds where they're not necessarily well off. They end up overspending if they're not careful with their money. But I think he was actually more careful with the money because he got a not a super fancy car that would guzzle gas. He was pretty sensible in his purchases. Whereas you have like athletes who are buying like <laughs> diamonds. Or like Didi yeah. who took a million dollars from him God. and bought a Corvette and a Hummer truck and a regular truck and they went on vacation to Hawaii. Yeah, it's like you're one person. How many cars do you actually need? Well, thank you so much for sharing that with us. I am internally grateful whenever you bring up cases because <laughs> it's like I don't actually know most these cases that you're talking about and I feel like I should so I know I like to do cases I a lot of these cases I haven't heard about like I just googled weird true crime cases and this popped up well I'm gonna have to start doing that too I need to start doing some cases not in Virginia too (laughs) I'm gonna start getting super paranoid might have to move out of state (laughs) (laughs) All jokes aside, we did decide to do a two for this episode because we had recorded this episode a little while ago and it was so short that we didn't know what to do. We were going to do a bonus episode. So we're going to go ahead and talk about the unsolved murder of Heidi Childs and David Metzler. And we'll get right to that after a quick word about our sponsors. 
Hello, everybody. Welcome to our bonus episode. (laughs) So you might have seen in the title today, we are going to be talking about the unsolved murder of Heidi Childs and David Metzler. And I just want to state up front. I was not intending to do all of my cases in Virginia, but I've been having so many people sending me things about cases in Virginia that that seems to be all I've been doing. So this one is another one that happened in the local area that one of my therapists told me about. (laughs) So shout out to Marsha for this one. So we'll go ahead and get started. Some background on our victims. David Lee Metzler, he was 19 years old at the time of the murder. He was the only son born to Keith and Susan Metzler, and he was the youngest of four children. So he had three older sisters. His family moved to Lynchburg, Virginia after being missionaries in China, and he graduated from Brookville High School, which I drive past very frequently. So it's literally... should change their name. name. So there was actually a petition recently to get the name changed, but... It's not named after lynching. It's named after David Lynch, who I think I is mean, the I founder. Think it wasn't named after lynching, but okay. But you never know. <laughs> this is technically the South. We have a town here called Lynchburg. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not a great name. So David enjoyed golfing. He liked watching football, playing guitar. I saw that he took a woodworking class in high school that he really enjoyed, so he wanted to do more of that in the future. They even still have those classes? Apparently so. Wait, when? what, what year was this case? This case was 2009, so this oh, was... Oh, this is... I thought you said 1969. No. <laughs> this one's really recent. I was wondering if they had colored pictures. <laughs> so he excelled in basketball, soccer, and outdoor sports. He apparently played golf up to a point until it started to interfere, I guess, with his religious stuff, like youth group and whatnot. His family, as I stated, they were missionaries, so they were a very devout Christian family. So he was described as a hard worker. He held various jobs, like working at a local golf course. He worked for a friend's plumbing business, and he worked at a local ice cream shop. And that's something he did with Heidi, I believe, in the summertime when they were home from school. That's so cute. He was described as kind, quiet, unassuming, steady, a gifted student, good natured, a homebody, very family oriented, and like I said, religious. He wanted to lead Bible studies at Virginia Tech. That's cute. That's a little bit about David. And then we have Heidi. Heidi was 18 at the time of the murder. Heidi Lynn Childs. She was studying biochemistry at Virginia Tech. Oh. Oh, okay, Miss Girl. We see you. I forgot to mention, David was studying industrial systems engineering at Virginia Tech. So very science-y, mathematic-minded people. Love that. I wonder if they were awkward. (laughs) That I don't know. It's possible. Heidi was an honor student with a full academic scholarship to Virginia Tech. She had a passion for the medical field, and she had actually intended on changing her major to pre-med. She had excitedly excitedly called her parents the night that she was murdered about having an academic advisement meeting. I believe it was the next day to make that switch. And that was the last phone call they ever had with Heidi. She was described as independent, smart, 
outgoing. And she had the nickname Smiley because she was constantly smiling. Oh my God, my best friend's nickname, her grandpa nicknamed her Smiley. I'll be like, Smiley? <laughs> I just take me to the grocery store. That's sweet. Heidi was one of eight children. She Holy. was the, yeah, she was the fourth oldest. That's a lot of children, but I guess. Bonnie Kate plus eight. <laughs> <laughs> More power to you, I guess. Um, so they moved to Lynchburg when Heidi was a teenager. She was homeschooled for most of her life, but she started taking some college courses in 10th grade. She enjoyed her academics, sports, outdoor activities like camping, skiing, hiking, and socializing with friends. She ran cross country, played basketball, played guitar and sang. And I think the guitar and singing was one thing that her and David connected on at first when they first met. But they were also a very religious family. Like she enjoyed going on mission trips and being a part of the youth group at Heritage Baptist Church, which is actually where the two of them met. I was going to say, were they both Baptists? I'm guessing so. They met at youth group, but they didn't actually officially start dating until they went to college. They had been friends up to that point. And I guess sort of like not being exclusive, but kind of like hanging out, you know, up until that point. But once they started dating, they were described as inseparable. Cute. Like I mentioned, they worked together at that ice cream shop as like a summer job. To put into context, like date wise, the year that Heidi was going to Virginia Tech was only a year after the mass shooting that happened at Virginia Tech. So her mom was rightfully nervous about the possibility of her going to this school. There was a mass shooting? Yes, it happened in, I believe, 2007. It was before mass shootings, I think, were more common. Back in the 90s, there was Columbine. And then after that, there weren't like a whole lot of mass school shootings. Virginia Tech, I feel like kind of, I don't know, it started something, I think. I remember that one specifically just because I was in high school when it happened. But yeah, it was a, it was another student who went around shooting people. So understandably, her mom was nervous about her going to Virginia Tech. Here's an actual quote that I pulled from an article. She said, I was a little nervous about her going. And I remember her saying to me, quote, Mom, it doesn't matter where you are. If it's your time to go, God is going to take you regardless, unquote. It's really hard to think back on that. Aww. Yeah, that one got me. On August 26, 2009, David told a few of his roommates that he was going to take Heidi on a surprise date. He said that they were going to have a bonfire, enjoy the good weather, and just kind of chill out, hang out, because school had only started a couple days before. I got varying things. Some people said it was like two weeks into the school year. Others said it was only a couple of days into the first week. So regardless, school had basically just started. Heidi mentioned to her roommates she'd be home later that night because she had homework, so you can kind of assume they didn't intend on staying out too late. Just after 8 p.m., David and Heidi arrived in the Caldwell Fields parking lot in David's navy blue 1992 Toyota Camry. David had been there previously on a men's retreat, so he wanted to show Heidi like the natural beauty of Jefferson National Forest there in Montgomery County. He'd brought his guitar to play for them by the fire, and Heidi's parents said they speculate that they were going to discuss some important things like Heidi's change in her major and how that might affect their relationship because pre-med is super intensive. So it's possible that they wouldn't have been able to spend as much time together. That's so cute. So Caldwell Fields, a little bit of information on that just to kind of give some context of the location. It's located in Jefferson National Forest, which is about 15 minutes from the Virginia Tech campus. It consists of trails mainly, but it's pretty secluded. 
and it's like off in the woods and there's no phone service really or if there is it's very like spotty yeah no thanks (laughs) it was a spot that was well used by students and pretty active during the day a former student on a reddit thread that i was reading said quote during the day the fields and woods are beautiful and there are usually other groups around so it's totally safe at night it's pretty spooky just because you're in the woods but my friends and i never thought twice about driving out there for our midnight bonfires unquote so students were up that way often i didn't see it really described as a lover's lane type of thing but i imagine it's probably something that got used for that occasionally just because of how close it was to campus i don't like the idea of lover lane <laughs> yeah weird i get it i get but it this, but i don't really like it yeah like at the same time it's like I wouldn't want to do any of that stuff in the car. I was no say, uh... <laughs> <laughs> There's not a whole lot of information about what actually happened, because like I said, this case is unsolved. Sometime between the time of 8.25 p.m. and 10 p.m., the two of them are shot and killed. That's so specific. Well... I think they got there around 825. So that's why they know like that start date or that's when they left campus or something. Yeah. And then usually depending on like the body's temperature and things like that, you can determine a time frame of when they were killed. Yeah. It's either the temperature or whether or not rigor mortis has started. I think it's both. Yeah. Around 8 a.m. the following morning, a man walking his dog found their bodies. It looked like there was shattered glass from the driver's side window in the gravel near the driver's side door because David was shot inside of the car through the window. Meanwhile, Heidi was shot outside of it. So they believe David was killed first and Heidi tried to run and then she was shot. They were shot by a 30 caliber rifle. Like I said, there weren't a whole lot of details. The only thing I could really find... A rifle, like a rifle or or like a rifle, like a... You know, I act like I know a lot about guns. (laughs) I don't know a lot about guns, and I'm not going to pretend that I do. I don't know a lot about guns either, but from what a lot of people were saying in these various threads that I was reading is that rifles aren't something that you would typically murder somebody with, I guess. If it was something where... They, because I'll talk about this a little bit more in the theory section, but some people speculate maybe criminal activity was happening up there. That's like. Yeah. So some people speculate maybe there had been some kind of criminal activity going on up there, but because it's a rifle, a lot of people say, well, you would think it would be a handgun if it was like they pulled up on something they shouldn't have been seeing, you know? So the fact that it's a rifle, which is more like a hunting gun, it. I don't know. I don't think that they pulled up on anything. But it would kind of seem like somebody was late night hunting. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of gun it looks like. There weren't very many details about how many times they were shot or where. The killings were described as brutal and ugly. The only thing I saw was that David was shot through the window and that Heidi was shot in the face. There was also a robbery component to it. David's guitar was still in the car, but Heidi's purse was stolen inside her purse was a credit card, cell phone, college ID, and a camera. So I don't think robbery was the main motive, but it was an opportunistic thing. It kind of sounds like they tried to take her purse so they would have a harder time identifying her. That's possible, yeah. The investigation, there was a joint task force that was created to investigate the murders consisting of Montgomery County state and federal officials. I like when they, the police departments don't try to hog the case. 
Yes. Like, it's better to have more resources than less. That's my thoughts. DNA evidence was found at the crime scene, but I can't really find any information on what that DNA was. Heidi's father just said that he was optimistic because the DNA was better than fingerprints and that they were close to capturing the killer, but that was back in 2012 and nothing's really happened since then. It could have been like blood. If there was glass there, mm-hmm. it could have like accidentally, I'm assuming it's a he, but the killer could have accidentally like slipped their skin off the glass. That's true. The investigation was renewed in 2019 because the FBI contributed $28,000 to the reward total, bringing it up to $100,000. So anybody who can give them information that leads to an arrest will get $100,000, essentially. Okay, so I have a question. Yes. They offer reward money that in cash, or did they send a check? Because I would then wonder when my check would come. (laughs) Yeah, I don't actually know. Probably not cash, but it would be nice. Yeah, I imagine it's probably not cash, if anything. Probably check. Either a check or like a direct deposit type situation. So the Virginia State Police have said that they are going to go back to the very beginning of the case and review every single bit of information that they've collected since then. In August 2020, Special Agent W.S. Mitchell said they've been able to advance this case like never before, but they still need more information. Lieutenant Colonel Tim Lyon, director of the Virginia State Police Bureau of Criminal Investigation, said in 2019 that there are still new leads coming in that they're pursuing. Here's a quote specifically from him. He said, quote, it's time to come forward and let these families find some sense of peace. Heidi's parents and siblings, David's parents and siblings, their friends have all been held hostage long enough, unquote. So like a lot of our former cases that are either unsolved or took forever to find their bodies, these family members, their friends, they don't have any closure in this sense. Like at least they have bodies they were able to bury. Yeah but they don't have answers. And that's probably just as bad. So Lieutenant Colonel Lyon said that they're hoping that 10 years worth of technology and scientific advancement and DNA testing and like the criminal databases will help them to identify the killer. So I'm assuming that they're going to try to do more with the DNA evidence that they found, whatever it is. I saw that police were looking into specific individuals as people of interest, but no arrests have ever actually been made in the case. So I don't know. (laughs) The Roanoke-based Aware Foundation put up a billboard in Giles County advertising the reward in hopes of eliciting new information from the public. Heidi's dad, Don Childs, returned to part-time work at the state police office. Mm -hmm. He used to be an officer and a helicopter pilot there for years. So he's kind of moved back into that, I think, after the fact. It's so cool to be a helicopter pilot. mood. And like I said, they've received thousands of tips over the years, but no arrests have been made and the case remains unsolved. There are multiple theories, however, so we'll kind of go over those a little bit. What they should do, you know how they caught the Golden State Killer with familial DNA? That's Well, I've seen a lot of people saying that, but I know that there's a lot of controversy over doing that too, because... I guess the idea is that you're giving your DNA to this company, but not to the feds. But at the same time, read the fine print. Exactly. Read the fine print because this company owns your DNA sample that you send to them and then they can give it to whoever they want. Controversy, schmontroversy. 
Um, so some of the theories, one of them is just wrong place, wrong time. They pulled up on something nefarious going on, like a drug deal or just gang violence. Although I don't know what kind of gang violence there is in that area. I mean, you don't know who hangs out in the woods. It could be this <laughs> new gang nobody's ever heard of called the Wood Gang. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess it's possible that there are gangs in oh that area. Oh my god, you know what I was just thinking about? It could be one of those feral people that I see on TikTok. Feral people. Interesting. That could have been who did it. You'll, you'll need to tell uh, send me some stuff about feral people so that I <laughs> I can investigate. <laughs> I saw it on TikTok. Apparently there's like a whole bunch of feral people. I don't know how true it is, but apparently there's a whole bunch of feral people that live in like state parks in the woods. And a lot of people who go to these state parks go missing. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, feral person. That's that's a possibility. Another one that I saw, there was only one Redditor who suggested this, and I just want to clarify, I don't usually browse Reddit, but there was like three or four multiple threads on this, this case in particular, so I just went through and read some of the comments. Reddit so. is the best place for like theories on stuff, because I'll be yeah. going down the rabbit hole. I'll be like, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, you got a point. Oh, yeah. This- this one makes sense yeah so this one redditor suggested that this could have been the work of israel keys he was a serial killer who is believed to have committed multiple kidnappings and murders across the the country the briefcase that he would go and bury i think so I think so, because I think I remember seeing something about murder kits or something. But he was active between 2001 and 2012. Oh, yeah, this is him. He had, like, kits he would go Mm -hmm. and bury and, like, leave them for, like, 10 years and then come back. But I don't think he killed anybody. Well, there are some similarities to his MO, like using a rifle. I think he had killed couples or something along those lines. I didn't look into all of the specifics, but the Redditor mentioned specifically that... Okay, so the FBI released an interactive timeline on their website about Israel Key's movements, basically everything they have tracked in that time frame. So I went and I checked it because I wanted to verify that this guy was actually telling the truth. But the Redditor said that there was no activity listed in that time frame of when this murder happened. So it's possible that he could have been in the area. But when I went to check, I'm iffy on it because in June, he was in Alaska, and in September, he was in Alaska. So yeah, there's July and August in there where there's no information, but I think when he was in there in June, it said he was at like one of those extended stay places. So Um, I imagine he was there for a while. His MO, if I remember correctly, he would fly down to like a place and Mm -hmm. then rent a car and drive like he would drive miles and miles like from states to kill Mm -hmm. people but i don't remember him killing i mean he could have killed couples i'm trying to think i know he was an opportunist killer so he didn't have a a particular like victim he was looking for i think he went after a person of opportunity yeah i don't know well i guess in a sense that could have been still something with this like if he just happened upon them but i think he usually sexually assaults them well i did see 
Some people speculate that the DNA they had might have been whoever killed them did something to Heidi because she was out of the car. I wasn't really going to talk about that one because I don't want to entertain that possibility just because that hurts my heart. I would imagine that they probably would have already tested the DNA against a serial killer like that. Like if it's his yeah, stuff's already his DNA. Yeah, his stuff's already in the database. So if they haven't already announced that he was the one because he committed suicide while awaiting for a trial in 2012. So we would have already known by now if he was actually the killer. So I did see that he was in upstate New York. He had murdered somebody in upstate New York, I think, in April of 2009. So he was on the East Coast in that time frame. But like I said, in June and in September, he was listed as being in Anchorage, Alaska. And that's a really long way to drive. But I guess he did that kind of thing. If I remember correctly, he would like fly to like a different state and then he Mm -hmm. would rent a car and drive to like, so like he would, he would like, for example, lives in Alaska. He would fly to, let's say he flew to Illinois, but then to murder somebody, he would drive, let's say, Kentucky. He would drive all the way to Kentucky, murder someone, and then I think go back to Illinois. But I can't remember. Don't quote me on any of this. Interesting. Well, that was one of the theories I saw. Um, But like I said, there's nothing really that I think would suggest that he was because they would have tested the DNA if because it's already in the database. Um, another person that they looked at, because again, this guy just keeps popping up, so I guess this is a sign that we need to cover this case, but Jesse Matthew, when they caught him, they checked the DNA against him, I believe, around because he abducted and murdered Morgan Harrington from Charlottesville in 2009. So she was the first one he killed, and then Hannah Graham was a couple years later. But yeah. he was ruled out, plus his MO didn't match because he never used a gun, so I'm not really sure what the connection was other than just him having committed crime in this date, <laughs> like in the same state and at the same time. So that was a possibility, but I don't think that's actually accurate. But so this one I think is a little bit... I think this is kind of where I'm more leaning so with the theories, but it's called the hunter theory. So either a poacher accidentally shot David and then killed Heidi either in a panic or because she was a witness and he didn't want to get in trouble. Or someone planned to stalk and kill a couple using Lover's Lane parking areas, but it wasn't specifically targeted at them, just whoever happened to be there. The main reason why people say that they don't think this one is actually what happened is because it's an isolated area so poachers could have easily been hunting during the day without being caught like i think i saw the total amount of forest was like it was well over a thousand square miles so there's plenty of space in there that people could have gone hunting and not been caught and then the other for the stalking and killing thing There are no similar crimes like that in the 10 years after the murder, but that could also just be because people were looking in that area. It, because once you have attention on a place, it wouldn't make sense to keep going back to the same place to commit the same crime, you know? Then there is the possibility of the Colonial Parkway murders, whoever committed those committing this one. I don't think this is the case because the Colonial Parkway murders happened about I think it was like over 250 miles away from 
where this one happened. Yeah. And there are some people who believe that the Colonial Parkway murders aren't even done by one person, that it's multiple people. I haven't looked into them, so I don't know if like the details all match for the MO and stuff, or if it was just they were all along the same stretch of area, and that's why they're lumped together the way that they are. And then this one's not necessarily a theory on how it happened, but I did see some people on a Virginia Tech forum called VT Scoop spoke of rumors that the police know who did it, but they just need more solid evidence before they can... I was about to say, it sounds like the police know who did it, but they are trying to like get more information about it because that's something that you'll see a lot is that the police know who did it, Mm -hmm. but they don't have enough like linking evidence to put that person in that place at that same time yeah i think it's smart that they're not releasing a lot of details about this case yeah well especially because it's still an active investigation i figured i probably wasn't going to find a whole lot of information it is unsolved but that doesn't mean it's a cold case because they don't classify it as a cold case unless they are not actively looking into it anymore so yeah that's all i could really find about the case But it was an interesting case just because these kids, they grew up in this area that I'm currently living in. So I actually know some people who knew them. But yeah, it's a really sad case because when people who are so young die, it's like you can't help but wonder what all they could have accomplished going forward, especially in their case where Heidi was going to go into the medical field. Like how many people could she have helped if she was able to actually pursue that dream? And then David, he was going to be an engineer. What could he have invented? You know? So yeah, couldn't find a whole lot of information, but I think that's smart. Like you said, you don't want to put all your cards out there before you actually catch somebody because then they could use that as a means for appeal or to get a mistrial. So If you happen to know any information about this case, like I said, there's a $100,000 reward out there for anybody who has information that leads to an arrest of the killer. So if you have any information, call the tip line at 540-375-9589, or you can go to vspunsolved.com and you can contact them anonymously. So... Just throwing that out there. <laughs> Only do it if you actually have useful information because you yeah, don't want to waste. Be a douche kebab and call the line if you don't actually know anything because that just wastes time. It wastes time, wastes resources and money, and it also gets people's hopes up that they might actually be doing something helpful and then it turns into nothing. So don't do that. Yeah. Thanks. Don't be a douche kebab. Well, thanks for joining us today, guys. Thank you guys so much for listening. Um, You can find us on social media, on Instagram specifically at Shockingly Wicked Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Wicked Podcast One. You can find us on TikTok at Shockingly Wicked. We have posted a little bit more on there. Just Uh, one video. Don't get too excited. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's it's something. Two videos. Two videos. Two videos. So we've posted a little bit of something, something over there. So go check it out we are on facebook with a group it's a private group just search up shockingly wicked podcast and we will accept you and then also on youtube like we mentioned at the beginning but we don't have a url so just search up shockingly wicked podcast subscribe so that once we get 100 subscribers we can give you guys a specific url to type in and i guess that's it right 
Yeah, and like I said, guys, we don't want anything other than, you know, if you could take the time to leave us five-star reviews, help us get our name out there. If you could subscribe to us on YouTube, follow us. We interact with a lot of our followers on Instagram and Twitter, especially. And just join our Facebook group if you want to have, like, deeper discussions about the cases. I think that's a great place to do it. And yeah, till next time. Oh, and if you have case suggestions, email us at shockinglywickedpodcast at gmail.com. I realize we hadn't been mentioning that the last couple episodes, but we are still looking for case suggestions. So smaller cases like this, ones that happen in your hometown, let us know. We want to do more cases that we haven't heard of before. Yeah. We will see you next time. So peace out. Bye.